Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Glad to be in the Lord's house, and uh, I want to hear from the Lord today. Amen. I think that should be a, a desire each morning when we rise up. There's a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of preachers, a lot of writers, different ones, uh, have spoken about praying in the morning, and they will give certain, vo- uh, certain verses, not voices, excuse me, verses that are good to pray. I, I can't think off the top of my head the one uh, that I often... Well, I will write it down sometime in Psalm 119, which is speak to me out of thy law and, and things like that. There's other verses I'll sometimes uh, read before I, begin to, um, before I begin to read my Bible. I will read a specific verse and sort of pray and ask the Lord to answer that verse in my Bible reading, which is, Lord, speak to me. Amen. Uh, I have one that I keep on my phone, like a little sticky note that I'll read, uh, which is, the Lord has not forsaken them that seek him. And uh, it's good. To seek the Lord. Amen? Uh, in fact, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? We're supposed to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So I hope that you've come this morning. What I'm saying is I hope that you've come this morning looking for something from God. Amen. I don't have any great wisdom to impart to you, but I do have, as we looked at Wednesday night, uh, that which is perfect, that has come. That's the word of God. And we're going to look at that this morning and, and ask the Lord to speak to us. And uh, let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We'll read these verses. We've read them uh, each time we've looked at this thought concerning growing together. Uh, and I believe this will be our fourth message that the Lord has given us so far on this thought, uh, considering growing together. We, we did that first sermon looking there in those verses in Ephesians 2. Uh, and some other places just of what it means to grow together, building on the foundation of unity. We looked at the, uh, the trust in growth, how that we will never grow together in the Lord if we don't trust the Lord. And that, that being such a, a foundational thing, how that the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that uh, for other foundation could no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we understand that to be true, that we have to build on Him, and He has to be our foundation, and that means we have to trust Him. We trust His Word. We trust His will. And uh, then last week we began to look at this thought concerning the giver of growth. Who is the giver of growth? It is God. Paul said, He had planted, Apollos had watered, but God giveth the increase. God's the only one who gives proper growth. And we looked at that thought last week concerning the, uh, the uh, excuse me, the, the uh, what's the word, dispensing of the giver. There it is. How that God gives growth uh, at his own pace and the way he wants to do it. And we look there in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 at how God separates mankind into three divisions, carnal, spiritual, and natural. Those who are saved, those who are not saved, and those who are saved but living like people who aren't saved. Those are the three divisions there. And that how uh, those people in Corinth were in God's church. It's funny. In that very same chapter of 1 Corinthians 3, which we'll look at again at the end of the message today, 
That is the very chapter where he begins to outline how that we are a body in Christ, and Christ is the head, and we're all together working together, and that's the chapter where he is just dealing with the fact that the church is dividing themselves with envy, strife, and divisions, right? We looked at that last week. This morning, uh, I want to continue with this thought concerning the giver of growth, looking specifically at the desire of the giver. What is uh, God's desire concerning growth in our churches? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19, we know the Bible says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We looked at that verse Wednesday night in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians, how that everything is built on those three parts of the foundations, the apostles and prophets, which is the Word of God, the Old and New Testaments, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which is the Word of God, everything that we build on him being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. There's a very simple thing that is very clear without, uh, without argument, without dispute. In these verses we have just read, the building is the church. We're not talking about this actual physical earthly building. We're talking about a spiritual building. That the verse says is a habitation of God through the Spirit. You see that? It's a spiritual building. That spiritual building is the church. And everything we just read tells us this. It's God's. Now, someone might ask you, uh, you know, do you go to church? And you'll say, well, yes, I do. I go to Calvary Road Baptist Church. And, and you might, as you speak of, your, uh, of Calvary Road Baptist Church, we will often say this. Well, at my church. We say that, right? And I want to say this. There's some who say you shouldn't say that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Because we should have a sense of belonging in our church. Amen. But it's, that word my is not a possessive thing. Because the church doesn't belong to us, but we belong to the church. Right? It is not that we own and possess the church, but that the church, in a sense, possesses us. Because the church is the body of Christ, and the Bible said, you're bought with a price, you're not your own. We belong to the Lord. And the Lord takes what's His, us, and He places us in the body. And that body is the church. That building, fitly framed together, is a holy temple in the Lord. That building where we are builded together is an habitation of God through the Spirit. So what we understand is this. We're talking about growth. God gives growth because it's His, right? The church is God's for Him to do with it as He pleases. Can we all agree? I mean, it's His. It belongs to Him. He's the owner. The giver of growth is the owner of the church. And if we have that mindset, and that, that's what we'll look at first this morning concerning the desire of the giver, if we can get this appropriate mindset of the church. Uh, there have been a lot of people in, in the history of the church, in the history of Christianity, who have tried to control God's work because of an over-amplified sense of their ownership of God's work. My ministry 
is a little bit of a silly phraseology. Now, I will say my ministry because it is the one that God has afforded to me. But the word ministry, sometimes people use it as a glorifying term. Amen. But the word ministry means servitude. Service. So my ministry means my service to God. Service is not something that we are to be praised for. It is something that we are called to do for God as servants. We serve Him. Now, He sees us as family, and we are, but because of His goodness to us, we serve Him out of love, right? This is the giver of growth, and the giver of growth this morning has a great desire. Now, we know the Bible says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. Amen? It's God's will that all should come to repentance. That's not his desire for the church. That's his desire for the whole world. That's his desire for the sinner, that they should repent and be saved. But once they have been saved, God's desire for the church is for them to grow and be built together into an habitation of God through the Spirit, right? So let's look at this thought this morning. I want to speak first of the accrediting of the giver and that's what we've been talking about so far in Colossians chapter 1 let me show you some verses here about this uh, Colossians chapter 1 uh, and verse number 3 the Bible says we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints in verse uh, number 3 and 4 of chapter 1 Paul gives the subject of who he's going to be talking about down through all those verses. And we could read them all for the sake of time. I won't this morning. We'll skip down to verse number 15. The subject that he's referring to when he says, who, in verse 15, is the Lord Jesus. He said that. He's talking about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, look at this, by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, look at this, all things were created by him and for him. Now let's pause right there. Who? By whom and for whom? The Lord Jesus. Everything was made by Jesus, because the Bible says without him was not anything made that was made in John chapter 1. But Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15 that everything was made for Jesus. So when we give accrediting to the giver, the giver is the one who owns it. And who owns it? The one it's for. That's God. It's the Lord Jesus. Very, very specifically, Christ is the head of the church. Right? We know that to be true. And the reason that Christ is the head of the church is because the church belongs to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We are Christ's. That's who we are. When we take that name, Christian, which now is such a common phrase, that word means to be Christ-like. We are Christians because we are associated with Christ because the church is His. Verse 17 said this, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. So the body is what? The church. The church is the body. And who's the head? Jesus is the head of the church, the head of the body. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the 
preeminence. Now, that word preeminence, we've, you'll hear it said a lot of times, and you'll see it in the Bible a lot of times, but what does that word preeminence mean? To have the preeminence means you're always first. When something is preeminent, it's before everything else. Now, that is true of the Lord Jesus, as we just read, that he was the firstborn of every creature, which means he's before all of us. He was made first. He, he existed before all of us. But when it says he has the preeminence, what that means is this. As the head of the church, nothing comes before him. Amen. The accrediting of the giver is this. Jesus is first. Amen. Jesus is first. He's before me. He's before you. He's before my children. He's before your children. He's first. He's number one. It's all about Him, not us. Everything we do is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about uh, our culture. It's not about what we want. It's about Him. He is the giver. This understanding, we understand, this understanding should affect us as individuals and as a church. And I'll show you how I mean that. Let's, let's quickly read the next, next couple of verses. Verse 17, He is before all things, by Him all things consist. He's the head of the body of the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. That tells us this. Everything we do, everything we are, everything we believe hinges on one individual, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit last week. I think I was a little rushed there at the end, but I mentioned last week uh, that we should never identify ourselves by the name of a man that we follow. Well, I, I'm after this guy. I'm after that guy. Paul said, some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. But he said, what are they? They're nothing. That's what he said. They're not anything. Neither, neither am I anything. Neither is Paul anything. But it's all Jesus. That's what Paul said. And the same thing he's saying here. Jesus is everything. Y'all have heard that song, He is really all that matters? That is a fact. Jesus Christ matters more than any one of us. And if we're going to grow into what He wants us to be, He's got to be at the top. That's what the head is. The very top. The number one. The most important. The preeminent. This will influence our methods. Whenever we set about to do the work of ministry, we must do so in the knowledge that this work is for God. It is for the Lord Jesus. As such, the way that He wants us to do that work genuinely matters. Let me say it like this. God does not adhere to the statement, the ends justify the means. Amen. I won't take you there this morning. I'd like to look at it at a later date. But we can go and read in the Old Testament how that David decided to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And they went and they got that Ark of the Covenant and they wanted to carry it from where it was. It had been taken by the Philistines and then they got it back and they left it in the house of, they were, they were taking it by there, taking it back to uh, where it was supposed to be there at the, the tabernacle. And on the way they put it on a cart and they were carrying it on a new cart, a fancy, beautiful new cart they built specifically for that Ark of the Covenant. And as they're going through and they're shouting and hollering and dancing and doing whatever, uh, as the, they were walking and following, that cart shook. And when it did, the Ark of the Covenant, which by the way was a great and important and holy thing, rocked. And when it did, a man by the name of Uzzah stuck his hand out to keep it from falling. And when he touched it, it angered the Lord and God killed him dead. Now what he was trying to do is keep the Ark of the Covenant from flopping out on the ground. 
Does that sound like a good thing to do? Do you want the Ark of the Covenant to hit the ground? Yeah. Was it a good thing that they wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to God's people? Yes. Those are all good things. Their motives were all good. But the method was wrong. They weren't supposed to put that, cart, that thing on a cart. They were supposed to build staves, and the Levites were supposed to carry it. That's how God told them to do it. And because they weren't doing it the way God told them to do it, something happened, things went wrong, and a good man died because he angered the Lord. God cares how we do things. The ends don't justify the means. And when we have Jesus at the head, we understand that. The Lord Jesus is not shutting his eyes to anything and saying, well, as long as it works out, it'll be all right. You know, like the head of a company, they're coming to him saying, look, there's some stuff going on and, and things turned out all right. But he say, well, look, I, I don't need to know. What I don't know, I'm not held responsible for. Jesus doesn't have that privilege because he knows everything. Right? He sees it all. Are you all with me this morning? Jesus sees everything. And as such, our methods matter to the Lord. Our, our methods will be influenced by the understanding that he is watching, he cares, and what he thinks matters. Our motives will be influenced by that. And I just told you an example of a situation where the motives were pure, but the methods were not. But there are also the opposite can be true, where the methods look right, but inside the motives are all crooked, right? And these things matter if the Lord is accredited in our lives as the number one thing and the most important thing, then we have to understand who growth is for. Growth for growth's sake is no good. Growth for the furtherance of our goals and our, uh, our uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word I'm looking for right now. Our, our aspirations, what we're, uh, our initiatives, someone who has a desire to, to be more and, and do better and be bigger and great. And those things aren't necessarily bad in life to want to do more and, and to have success. Those things aren't bad. But when it comes to the church, our view of success is completely worthless. My view of success is worthless unless it is God's view of success. If he is the head, then what he wants is all that matters, right? And if we understand that he is the head and he's at the top, then that will affect our understanding of growth. Growth is given by who? Who gives growth? God does. The Lord Jesus. Paul watered, or Paul planted, Paul watered, God gives the increase, God gives the growth. Well, how does he do that? What does he do? What, how is God's growth given? What does he do? Well, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says this, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's what God said in Isaiah chapter 46. God said, I will do all my pleasure. In Luke chapter 10, verse number 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. So what is done in the sight of God must be done according to his good pleasure. Success in the Christian life is a life that pleases God. Success in the work of a Christian is a work that pleases God. Amen. Success in a church is a church that pleases God. 
We do so with our methods. We do so with proper motives. Matthew chapter number 25, we have the parable of the, uh, the talents. I know that you're all very familiar with that. And in context, it's talking about a lot of different things. And, and truthfully, the one, that third servant, is cast into outer darkness. I mean, we're talking about someone who's not saved. This is uh, obviously a kingdom passage. We're told it's like the kingdom of God. But in verse number 22, we are given a precedence, though, that I believe applies even outside of the kingdom in just modern-day Christianity. We have those three servants. Y'all know the story, how that a master is going away. He has three servants. He calls them to him. One, he gives ten talents. One, he gives five talents. One, he gives one talent. And that talent is a weight of money, a weight of gold, right? And the one who has ten talents goes, and he, he, he takes it, and he multiplies it, and he comes back with double. And when the master returns, he gives him double. And the one with five, or the, I said five, the one with two talents, he comes, which is in verse number 22, he received two talents. He said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And when he that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. Both servants understood who their master was. Both servants understood that their master reaped, as he said, where he had not sown. What he was saying was this, when the master gives you something, he expects more back in return. They both knew that. That's why the one with, with two talents went and doubled it, right? That's why the one with one talent said, I know you, I know how you are. You like to reap where you haven't sown and gather where you haven't strawed. Both of them knew the same thing, but they did something different with it. One was motivated with the knowledge that they had to please the master. You see that? The second one, who had the two talents, his motive was this. When I stand before my master, I want him to be pleased with what I've done. That's why he risked and went out and made more. He went out and did the work with this in mind. I want to please the master when I answer to him. Can y'all see that? But the other one, he understood the same thing. The master reaps where he didn't sow. He gathers where he didn't straw. But he was not motivated by this. I want to please my master. He was motivated only by fear. You see that? That's what he said. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. He's saying this. I was so afraid of losing what you'd given me that rather than going out and doing what I know would be good and you would want me to do, I have instead protected what you gave me because I was afraid, and now I've made sure to bring you what is yours. But that's not what the master wanted. The master did not want him to show up with nothing more than just what he had given him. He wanted him to show up with something to show for it, right? So when we consider the accreditation, who the master is, we consider the motive both of these men had the same knowledge about God, but only one of them was motivated by a desire to please God. Are y'all seeing the application? As Christians, as a church, 
Our motive cannot be hold on to what we got till Jesus comes. Well, Jesus could come back tomorrow and the world is going on a one-way path to hell anyway, so let's all just hold up, keep what we got, pray we don't lose anything and just make it to the other side. That is not the motive of wanting to please the Master. The motive of pleasing the Master is, well, this is what God has given me and God has a way He wants things done, so no matter how risky it may be and no matter what uh, opposition we may face out there, we have got to be about the master's business until we stand before him. Because one day, the master, in that story, he went away into a far country. Same thing happened to us back in Acts chapter 1 when they stood there and watched as the Lord ascended up into heaven. He said, as I go away, I will so will I come again in like manner. That's what it was told, right? He said, this man, you stand here gazing, this man, he shall return in like manner. He's going to come back. And when he does, well, we're going to stand before him. When we do, when, we, when he meets us in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and then we stay before him, and he looks at what we've done, will he see us motivated by a desire to please the master? Or will he see us motivated by a desire to please man, a desire to please ourselves, a desire to have glory for ourselves, a, a, a motive of fear? Well, I, I, Lord, I, I, know you like, I know that you like Christians to go out and tell others about you, but Lord, I just leave that to somebody else because I'm just not any good at that and I was afraid. Well, that's not going to please the Master, right? Being motivated by fear is not an avenue of growth. Look at what the Lord said in verse 26. Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. The one in verse number 23 he called good and faithful. The one in verse 26 he called wicked and slothful. You see the difference. Both had the same knowledge of the master, but they had two different motivations. And the one who was good and faithful, his motivation was this to please the master. This influences our, our motives. It influences our method. It influences our mindset. If we have a mindset of understanding, if we understand that everything we do for God, the success is determined by God and not by man, that will transform our works. Right? Y'all know the song that little kids sing, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Well, that verse is talking about being good and not doing things you shouldn't. And we'll all concede to that. Yeah, the Lord sees when we're wicked. But the Lord is also watching our works. He's watching our church. He's watching our church members. He's watching you. He's watching me. And if I'm not motivated by a desire to please Him, but rather motivated by a desire to please myself, or to please people, or to have some modicum of success, or some name on a marquee, Amen? I've got a lot of other things to say this morning. I've already been 20 minutes, so I'll say what the Lord has given me here, put it on my heart, but let me, let me explain something to you. When I was, I'll just give you an example, and I, I don't really love when preachers give examples of themselves over and over again. But I will give you a, a, an example because the Lord taught me a hard lesson when I was younger. Because the Lord gave me a, uh, a talent. We'll use that word talent. A talent of music. They'd be able to just pick it up and play. When I was 14, I started playing the piano and Started doing well, going to other churches, and I would play and sing. And I would often have people come to me and say, man, I just love your singing, I love your playing. Well, let me just tell you, in the mind of a 14-year-old boy, that's a challenge of pride. Amen. 
I am not an attractive person. Amen. Thank you, brother. That's right. I'm married up. Way up. I know that. I've always known that. My brother was athletic. He was popular in school. Me, I was a chunker in fifth grade. Now, God blessed me and grew me up to six foot four, but I didn't get thin. He just stretched me out like Gumby. You know what I'm saying? But when I was 14, 15, I started playing the piano and singing. I started going and you know, go to youth camps and do those things. You know what that got me? Can I just tell you? It got me the attention of young ladies who like to hear me play the piano and sing. It did. That's how I won my wife. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. That was the Lord. But, you know, I would have a girl come up to me. I just love to listen to you sing. And I'd be like, yeah, that's right. Hey, man, I'm just to be honest. As a 15-year-old boy, I thought, well, I've got something here. God did not bless me with looks. He gave me this. I'll use it. Try and get attention from somebody, right? Well, the Lord had to deal with me about that. Because when I was 13, the Lord called me to preach. So here I am in ministry, and now I'm singing all the time, and I'm playing the piano, and people come think, and say things to me. And I remember one day, I, 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 was, I was particularly, we'd had choir practice, and we learned a song, and I learned it real easy. You know, Lord just made it easy for me. I'm sitting there, and Dad's like, we need to go through it. I said, nah, we're good. Church started. It's a Sunday night at our church when I, was, when I started playing the piano. We would learn a song on Sunday afternoon. We'd sing it for practice in the service that night. We got up and started singing it. I played the right chords of the song to the beat and rhythm of a totally different song. We got 30 seconds into it, and my dad's looking at me like this, and I'm going, I don't know what's going on. It was like my brain snapped inside. And we had to stop the whole service and I said, uh, I don't know if I can play this song. And so one of them hummed a little bit of it and sung it to me. And I went back into it, and we played through it, and we got through it. But you know what they did? It killed the whole service. I mean, we finally got back on track, and Dad preached, and everything was fine. But in that moment, I thought, yeah, look at you. You're so good and smart and slick at playing the piano. Look at you. Every time I'd start to feel a little bit of pride creep up, the Lord would let me totally mess the song up. Forget the words to a second chapter. You know what I'd start, you know, start to realize? God... I'm an idiot. Amen. God, I don't have any talent. God, I'm not any good. And the Lord had to teach me a lesson of don't ever start thinking that you have it figured out and you've got it blessed and you've got it worked out. When you get up there to play that piano, it not, you ought not ever look out the crowd and say, hey, is everybody listening? But you ought to look up and say, God, is this pleasing to you? Amen. I began to get better at playing the piano and, and when we would be in services, I would not play stuff I could play. I'd play a little simpler because the Lord started to speak to my heart and say, why are you trying to get everybody to focus on your piano playing instead of the words that are being sang? Amen. Now, I'm doing a service, and that's playing this music because I want to I help the Lord and bless the Lord, but it needs to be about that. Otherwise, one day I'll stand before God, and every note I ever played on that piano will have been worthless. Amen. I've given piano lessons through the years to people who are playing for their church. And the first thing, before I'll teach them how to play the piano or teach them this or that, when I was younger, I would say, first, let's look at what the Bible says about music. Music is to lift up God. It's to praise the Lord and lift Him up. It is not to lift up man. If it shines a spotlight on me, then I need to turn the light off. It needs to be on God. Because everything we do has to be about Him. Otherwise, it's worthless. Amen. And if we have the mindset that Jesus is the head and everything is about Him, then we have to have this mindset. May everything I do 
point toward Jesus, not toward me. Right? So we want growth. Are we pointing toward the Lord? Are we pointing toward His desires? Are we pointing toward what He wants for our church? So what does God want? Well, there, we can look in the Bible and we can see the things that God wants and what God wants to do for us and what God wants to give for us. And I'll just tell you, I'm not going to get through this whole outline today. But I do want to read you a verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 16 says this. By him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, we read it, dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. If we understand that all things were not only created by him but were created for him, then we understand this. <clears throat> for our work, if it is actually for him and by him, then it isn't built on our opinion of success because our opinion of success is practically worthless. But the Bible says here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, read this verse with me. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, look at this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Well, that's exactly what I was just talking about. The danger of being in the spotlight is this verse right here. That's why Paul said, neither is Paul anything or Apollos anything. Because when you get put up front, the danger is the temptation of the devil to say, well, everybody likes you, you're popular, look, look how good a job you did. Look how, many, look how many people got saved when you preached. Look how many people went to the altar when you gave an invitation. Look how many people clapped or said amen or, or raised a hand when you were singing. How many people, look how many people came to you after and said, man, I just love when you were singing. I just love when you were preaching. I just love that lesson you taught in Sunday school. I just love this, or I just love what you're doing with the kids, or I just love what you're doing with the bus ministry. I just love what you're doing in Sunday school, or I just love, and we hear, and by the way, when people do that, it, it is out of a desire to show appreciation, and, and that's good. But the danger is this. I mean, let's start to think, yeah, look at me, I am doing a good job. Because Paul said, be careful not to think any, more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Well, how, how ought I think to myself? There's none that doeth good. There's none righteous. That's in an earlier chapter in Romans. Paul said, don't think yourself higher than you ought to think. What does that mean? I am nothing. He is everything. It's a guy, a, a gentleman, a preacher. I, we were praying for him some last year. I don't know if you all remember. I know I talked about it a little bit, and we had a special prayer one day, and we requested prayer a lot for him. His name is Brother Doug Fisher. He pastors in California. Is it San Diego? I think it's San Diego, Brooke, isn't it? He had a stroke last year and, and had some major surgeries, and his, his, his life's been changed by that. He was preaching. He always preached down at different places I would go. He was preaching at Tony's uh, church one year for their camp meeting at Numana. And I noticed that after the service, he would, after he would get done preaching, he would leave the service. Now, he wouldn't leave the build or the whole church. He would just step out of the service. You know, a lot of times after we'll preach, the pastor will go to the back or, or, or go around and try to shake people's hands and talk to them. He wouldn't do that. He would hide. And I thought well, it's because he's weird, because he is a strange dude. He's blessed by the Lord, but he's a different kind of guy. He was a military man. He's just very kind of stoic and, I mean, blessed by the Lord. But uh, I, I noticed that. And, and one day I bumped up to him. I, I, after the, like between services, between preachers, I went to the bathroom, and he was in the bathroom washing his hands. And, and I, he was there, and I you know, said hello to him, you know, that awkward bathroom conversation. And he just, he mentioned it. He's like, I just, he's like, you know, I'm sorry. I hope you don't think I'm rude or whatever. He's like, I just don't like to hang around after church. 
He said, because you know how it is when you preach, people will come to you and tell you how much of a blessing that is. He said, I don't know how to respond to that. And my pride can't handle it. So he would literally go and just stay out of the way. Now, he would talk to anybody, sit down and talk with you like he's known your whole life. But he won't stick around after the service to let people shake his hands. Now, you know what I thought? I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, I get it, but that's kind of weird. But I began to, that sunk into my mind, and I thought, well, Lord, you know, people do say that stuff. Well, what, what do you do? And I've tried to teach myself to adopt this mentality. When someone comes to you and says, man, that's a wonderful job, you say, bless you. Bless the Lord. Thank the Lord. And not, well, thank you. I appreciate that as much as I can because, because they're being kind and they're being good, and that's a good thing to do, continue to encourage people. But in my heart, I've got to guard my heart because my mindset as the pastor of this church has got to be, yeah, I'm the pastor, and you know what that is? I'm a, I'm a servant. And it's all about him. And when I stand up here and I preach a message and, and, and people think, man, the Lord spoke to me through that, I'll say, thank God he spoke to you. What a blessing. I don't ever want to think, yeah, look at you, man. You sure are smart. You sure are a good preacher. No, I don't ever want to think that. Because when I do that, I'm stealing glory. And the Bible says all glory is given to him, the head, the master, the one it's all about. He is the one who gets the credit, not me. That's the church. The church is a body. Amen. Nobody ever walked up to my hand and said, man, them hands sure are good at playing the piano. I say, you are. Well, that's me, the head, the brain, the mind. Right? That's Christ. He's our head. He's the face of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the mind of the church. He is the controller of the church. He is the Lord of the church. He's the God of the church. The church is His. It's all about Him. So we want growth in our church. Here's what we got to be. A lot of churches will say, well, we're a, we're a missions-focused church. And when they say that, they're saying it with a good thing in heart, and I agree, we ought to have a focus on missions. Others say we are an evangelistic-focused church, the Great Commission. Hallelujah. That is our, I mean, number one job from the Scripture, to be out and do that thing. But there, if there's one thing that we have got to be focused on as a church, it's Jesus Christ and nothing else. Everything else points toward Him. So what about missions? That points people to Jesus. What about outreach? That points people to Jesus. What about our children's church, which we've started on Sunday mornings, and we have on Wednesday night for, for, for years? And we, we, What about our Sunday school ministry? What about our bus ministry? Those things are wonderful. They have one goal, to point them toward Jesus. Every lesson taught in Sunday school, every lesson taught in children's church, every message preached in this church, every song that we sing must be for one purpose, and that is to point toward Jesus, because he's the head. He's the focus. He's our motivation. He, his ways, they're our methods. He is our, our mindset. It must be him. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And we're going we're gonna to close it right here. The measure of faith. We talk about that, don't we? We talked about that in this church, how that God has saved us. We looked into the, through that in Ephesians. For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. That gift isn't just salvation, but it's faith. God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. How do we get saved? By faith. Well, thankfully, God has offered salvation and then give us the faith we needed to receive it. But that faith does not end at salvation. It properly begins at salvation. And then we add to our faith, the Bible says. We build faith. And what faith are we talking about right now? Talking about the faith to trust 
that it's all about Jesus. We have to have a mindset of faith that he knows what's best. Right? He knows what's best. He knows what's best. If we're about his work, we're doing his business, we're doing it the right biblical way, we're just not growing in numbers like we want to see it, but we're doing it right, we're keeping him first, and we're doing the work, and we're not being lazy like that servant. We're truly trying to please him. We're doing everything we can, and we're not seeing some of that fruit that we want to see. We've got to just have faith. It's about him. That to everything there's a time, everything there's a season. And maybe our season of, of visible fruit is coming, but right now it's not there. We've got to have faith. We're praying for that one lost soul. We keep praying for that son or daughter, that grandson or granddaughter, that cousin or friend or neighbor that, man, we just want to see them saved. I was with Brother Josh Engel this weekend, his little boy Corbin, he's, I think, about to turn 10 or something like that. The last day we were there, he came and he said, Brother Paul, would you do me a favor? I said, yeah. He said, well, I've got three buddies who go to my church. He told me their names, Isaac. I know him as one. I can't remember the other names. I wrote them down. He said, they're lost. And I'm praying the Lord will save them. They're my buddies. Will you help me pray for them? And I thought, Lord, what a, what a boy who loves the Lord right here. I mean, nine years old, asking me to pray for his lost friends, right? The, the, the Lord was using him to try and reach them. Why? Because, because Jesus matters. Because Jesus is real. And that boy right there believed there was nothing more important for his buddies than to know that they were saved. That's, that's what I want, right? I want that fire to please my God, to point others toward him. I, I, I want to take that faith he's given me that I put in him to save me, and I want to put it in him to say, Lord, if I'll go out and I'll give out a gospel tract, Lord, I just believe that eventually somebody's going to show up and get saved because of it. Lord, if I keep inviting that one who keeps rejecting me, Lord, I'll just keep trying. I'll just pray, and God will see that fruit. And you may say, well, I've been praying for that one forever. I've been looking for this forever. I've been, well, just have faith. And when things don't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out, you know what you still need to do? You still need to have faith. Because he's the head. And he decides. And he does according to his good pleasure. And sometimes that aligns with what we want. Sometimes it doesn't. But for us to be a successful, growing church, we need to know this. He, we give all a credit, we accredit Him with everything. Every good thing that comes, we give Him the credit, point toward Him. When things don't go exactly like we want them to, Brother Tim requested prayer last Sunday for a man he knew who was on his deathbed, and as far as he knew, was lost. And he died. As far as Brother Tim knows, he never came to a knowledge of salvation. What has he got to do? We talked. He's got to just have faith in God and press on. Because sometimes things don't turn out the way we want them to. So you're saying God wanted that man to go to hell? No, I'm not saying that. But sometimes things don't go the way we wanted them to. Amen? Sometimes we don't see what we want to see. We don't have what we want to have. But we've got to keep Jesus as first. He is the apple of God's eye. And he must be the apple of ours as well. Amen? Let's all stand.
Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.